the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up, an announcement just made by the Federal Agriculture Minister some additional assistance in regards to those uh, flood-affected farmers and landholders. More on that shortly. Also talking to New South Wales farmers as well. Today, though, is National Agriculture Day. It's a chance to celebrate Australia's farm sector and to celebrate an industry that's very much a part of our lives every single day. But how much do you think kids know, little kids know, about agriculture and farming? Do you know what a farmer does? Uh, does goes on tractors. Miller, do you know? Yes, I do know. They plant wheat. What do you know about what happens on a farm, Georgie? They look after animals, uh, sheep, horses and pigs. Who else helps out the farmers? More people. Their mum, his mum and their kids. What about the truck drivers? Yes. We'll hear more uh, and talk more about National Agriculture Day a little bit later on in the program. But uh, to some uh, good news now, and it's uh, just been announced from the federal government uh, that uh, they'll be going to be increasing the emergency payments uh, up to that uh, $75,000 grant level for farmers that have been impacted by the floods. And uh, we're going to talk about that and a whole range of other issues that are uh, cropping up in regards to this issue. Xavier Martin uh, joins us now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. New South Wales Farmers President. Now, obviously, this news, good news from the uh, federal government uh, to to move to that Category D, but we've been calling for it for a while. Yes, we have, and uh, been a bit exasperated with uh, what's meant to be quite a nimble response under our natural disaster response agreement between the states and the federal government, but... For whatever reason, there's been some delay, but look, we welcome it. It, it was, it it's been urgent. Uh, it's been really required across all the valleys that are flood affected. I mean, there's communities are from border to border and, and coast to, to the west that have been impacted. And, uh, you know, more than half of the state's local government areas are, are enduring flood disaster now, which, uh, you know, we, we welcome the response it's uh, really needed okay well let's have a let's uh, hear a little bit about what murray watts said earlier today about uh, about an hour ago in regards to that announcement a terrible time down in new south wales what has been enacted today in terms of support for those um, in need down there yeah i think all of us are really worried about what we're seeing out of new south wales uh, the state so much of the state has been in flood for so long and even over the last couple of weeks myself i've i've got to see it in places like moree forbes gunnedah dubbo and the impact on agriculture and roads and infrastructure is immense um, so i'm really pleased to say that today we're partnering with the new south wales government to increase uh, the grants available for primary producers. Uh, $25,000 grants have already been available, but today we're upping that to $75,000. Uh, some of the losses that farmers and rural communities are experiencing are huge, uh, and I'm not going to pretend that that's, those sort of grants are going to solve everything, but I think they'll go a long way to helping people get back on their feet. A, a big start. Um, anything further around that flooding? I noted towns like uh, Ugara, as well as Molong, um, you know, unprecedented and, and what people were actually describing as a tsunami, we're here in Queensland where we saw something like that back in 2011. 
It's seemingly less one in 100 years more frequently. Does that worry you as the Minister? Yeah, it certainly does. And you're right, I think any of us who are watching those scenes in places like Yagara over the weekend were reminded of Grantham and the tidal waves that were ripping through little country towns. And uh, places like Yagara have had homes literally ripped off their foundations and floating down creeks and rivers, sometimes hundreds of metres away. So we've got the ADF in there supporting people with the with the clean-up and the rebuild, uh, and we'll continue to do that. But, yeah, look, I think, I think the fact is, whether we like it or not, the climate is changing, and we're facing these kind of intense events much more frequently than we ever did before, and that's why we've got to get better prepared. Um, it's no good denying these things are happening. Um, we've got to invest, and that's what we're planning to do with more investment in resilience uh, to make sure that farming communities and the whole country are better prepared for the future. That's a Federal Agriculture Minister, Murray Watt, there, and uh, they put a figure on it. They reckon that it's going to be more than $3 billion, this disaster that's impacting the whole of uh, the whole of the state of New South Wales. New South Wales Farmers President Xavier Martin joins me now again. Now, the other issue you'd like to see in terms of an announcement would be, and we heard it there from the Minister about the Defence Forces, you think that maybe that needs to be mobilised a bit more. We need more boots on the ground. Yes, it's uh, a lot of what um, Minister Watt had to say. I thoroughly agree with, and uh, but the point of, about the military, the Australian Defence Force uh, emergency response, and and we welcome that out there with the emergency at the moment. However, there's an ongoing uh, task that the ADF needs to be mobilised towards, and the federal government needs to authorise them to get on with repairing these fractured, these broken road corridors. I mean, the the roads, whether they're uh, state or federal or local roads it's beyond local government fleet to to cope with the level of damage we, we need to get the harvest off michael and uh you know the adf has a massive earth moving fleet the uh, uh the uh, equipment they've, got, they've uh, got engineers too as well that could assist with that too exactly and this is the sort of uh situation it's one thing to have resilience and work on it down the track but we need a here and now response around getting this harvest off, getting the communities working together again, getting getting uh, getting to Christmas and New Year in a happy shape. Now, the the issue too, though, and the announcement just been made just a short while ago, the federal government's emergency payment is going to be increased to Category D, which means the $75,000 grants to farmers impacted by floods brings them in line with the north coast of uh, New South Wales as well um, and you mentioned there the road repair uh, but also labour is another issue as you'd like to see the government maybe move more rapidly in regards to, to visas and uh, that sort of thing will assist in as we're moving to harvest and the number of workers we have is a bit of an issue too. Look we're way under the count in terms of the, our requirements for casual and seasonal labour let alone recovering from this sort of emergency event this sort of natural disaster and for whatever reason the last six months the Albanese government's been pussyfooting around with little bits of visa activity here and there and we really need the whole suite of, of agricultural related visas that provided that seasonal and casual ta task um, support uh, back in play uh, the Morrison government had at least three or four possibly even half a dozen different streams of agricultural related visa support we need that back quickly, not just not just floating around on someone's desk.
Now, we also, we've just had uh, the latest figures come from the DPI. They've given a statement about the damage, the agricultural damage, uh, lots of infrastructure damage, cropping and livestock damage, 10,600 plus livestock deaths, they reckon, fencing, uh, 4,000 kilometres, uh, hay and silage destroyed 16,000 tonnes, stored grain, we've lost about 3,800 tonnes, we've lost 274,000 hectares of pasture. This is all self-reported from a, only about 780 landholders, so the DPI is saying that uh, damage bill is certain to rise, and the, what we're hearing is that this will take at least 12 months to, to recover and possibly more. Oh, look, our surveys within New South Wales Farmers Association, Michael, are showing at least that, if not more. We're starting to hear from members with these rolling events uh, where the landscape is so uh, inundated and the amount of uh, repair work that's required, not just weed control, but you know, getting fences back in place and even access roads back in place to get to them, that some are seriously doubting they're going to be able to realistically plan a winter crop next year. So they're not going to look forward to a harvest by Christmas next year, let alone a harvest this year. Yes, and uh, big infrastructure uh, assistance needed there. And uh, also uh, mental health as people, you know, they were looking forward to the harvest and, uh, you know, uh, that, that whole issue. That's now... Uh, looks seriously in doubt for for many farmers all over the over the state. I guess uh, communities trying to pull together, but maybe some more assistance or some more some more thought given to people's mental health. Look, that's a very important area, and I think for many members, many farmers I've spoken to, you know, there was always that optimism, that hope as a volunteer businessman in the landscape trying to make a living out of feeding and clothing you know 100 million people i think a lot of them were hoping for you know some minor miracle to break even but many are realizing now they're in a thoroughly damaging loss situation and uh you know we we need to all work together support each other look after our neighbors our communities you know there's a real um, need to access any of that support around well-being or mental health and look out for each other. I mean, it's great to be celebrating National Ag Day and, and how well we do feeding and clothing so many millions of people, but we also need to be aware that there's a, a big effort to, to get to a happy Christmas and New Year. Yes, indeed, and uh, support is available from Lifeline on 13 11 14 and from the New South Wales Mental Health Line on 1-800-011-51 and uh, also where you can get assistance from the uh, flood and storm emergencies from the SES, one three two five hundred as well. And uh, Xavier Martin, thanks for joining us on the program today. Thank you, Michael. It's a quarter past 12 on the country hour. Now, also the other issue uh, in terms of reporting those losses that you have uh, which is where we got the information from i believe from the dpi you can do that on their emergency hotline 1800 814 and uh, also request assistance with livestock assessment and veterinary support emergency fodder uh, and a whole range of other things there so 1-800-814-647 you're listening to the country hour on abc radio new south wales well, it's National Agriculture Day. That's a time to celebrate Australia's incredible farm sector and an industry that's part of our lives every single day. And what better part to better better way to mark the day than to celebrate agriculture's future? 
One of the three regional New South Wales finals for the World Skills Australia competition was held yesterday in Casino. It tests the skills of high school students and trainees. Yesterday, three agriculture students from St John's College Woodlawn and St Paul's College Kempsey competed. Miranda Saunders caught up with the three finalists. Uh, Bo, Michael, Maney. How's it being here today? Oh, enjoying it. It's better than school, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Why did you take up ag as a subject? Um, oh, I grew up on a little farm and, um, yeah, always always liked um, going down and checking the cattle and whatnot. There's three things that you're being tested on today. What are your strengths? Um, I'm probably fencing and the truck driving, but, um, yeah, not too bad at handling the livestock as well. You've just completed the tractor section. Can you take us through what you had to do? We had to put on a super spreader and um, then had to drive around a cone and bring it back and take it off. Pretty easy, I guess. Yeah. You had to do, it looked like you had, were doing a lot of maintenance as well. Yeah, we had to um, grease the um, tractor up and um, clean it over, check the oil um, dipsticks and whatnot. Ella O'Neill. And where are you from? I'm from Bellbrook, New South Wales. Ella, how do you feel coming into today's competition? I was pretty excited to get out here and try something new, but a little bit nervous at the same time. You've got uh, three different skills that they're testing today, the fencing, cattle and, um, and tractor work. What's your strength? Probably cattle work is my most, I'm most used to that. I've done a lot more of that. Um, weakest link's probably tractor work. <laughs> So what do you like about this competition? What motivates you to be part of it? I'm really quite passionate about ag and I have intentions to going into that field once I finish school and I thought this was a great way to get a bit of exposure, um, get my name out there a little bit and have, have a bit of fun. Where do you want to go in the ag industry? Um, I'd like to be an ag teacher or an agronomist, I'm not too sure yet, but somewhere in that field. So take us through some of the things that you've had to do today so far. Um, so far I've only done um, livestock work. I ran them through the yards, weighed them, I found their averages and then mouthed them, gave them a score of their condition and then I gave them a drench and let them all out. Hi <laughs> Lillian White. What's your strength? Is it the fencing, the cattle work or the tractors? I'm pretty partial to cattle and fencing, but I have a go at the tractors and see how we go. Now, you've just completed the fencing side of things. Can you explain what you had to do for people that don't know what this World Skills is all about? Yep, so I just tied off um, the strainer post and then I put out a whole line of just a straight wire and then there was a um, split barb, um, not or just straight wire, it was split so I fixed it up. Why are you competing in this? What motivates you to compete in a competition like this? Um, I'm a trainee at the Department of Primary Industries so just getting my name out and trying new things it's all a great experience and it will get me further into the industry. What do you want to do? Um, I want to look into genetics and AIing and preg testing and that kind of stuff. Now, Tanya Fraser is the Ag and Primary Industries teacher at St John's College at Woodlawn who hosted the regional finals. Yeah, we're really, really excited to have World Skills competition back at uh, Woodlawn. It's been a bit of a hiatus over the last couple of years without having the competition and then when we got contacted to have the competition this year, we jumped at the opportunity, make our facilities ready 
and look forward to seeing young people practice and demonstrate their skills in primary industries. What is this competition and why is it so important for the future of agriculture? Build Skills Australia really um, have a big focus in providing a skill-based opportunity to demonstrate industry skills for a range of different industries and in our case we're doing primary industries and they want to see that young people get involved in skills-based careers or industry traineeships, apprenticeships and then go and have more of a vocational education through their schooling years and so that's why we're involved is that we do it as part of our senior um, primary industries program in year 11 and 12 and we think it's really important to invest and develop up skills for young people and get them involved in agriculture and primary industries. And Cathy Townsend is the agriculture teacher at Holy Trinity School in Inverell and she was one of the three judges who had a tough job picking a winner. Um, I judged previously pre-COVID when, when they ran the last one and really enjoyed it and enjoyed well, working with different kids and things like that and you know giving them tips and whatnot. But also um, being able to talk to you know people who are in the same position as myself and, and even to learn from what we were doing. How important do you think is this competition for the future of agriculture and, and these young people coming through the ranks? I think it's really vital and in, in, in its importance. We need to encourage kids onto, you know, rural, into rural industry and, and jobs. It's, it's really important that they can actually get out there and test their skills and, and see how they compare. Because, like, the teachers who are delivering these courses are, are really well qualified and we, we are doing a great job teaching our kids industry skills. They seem like um, quite intense skills too that they're learning. Can you take us through some of of what you're testing them on today? Okay, I'm doing the cattle handling aspect and the kids have to be able to work quietly and safely around the animals in the yards. They also have to be aware of um, animal husbandry techniques, drenching, sorting cattle out, weighing them, mouthing and they've got to be also aware of WHS while while they're working in the yards. These are all things that we cover with them. How do you choose an overall winner though? It's it's difficult because the kids have got a high skill level and it basically comes down to little finer points within the competition, you know, whether they're in the right position when they mouth or open a gate correctly or even their position in the yard when they're working. It's a big congratulations to Lillian White from the uh, St John's College Woodlawn for uh, winning. She'll go into the national finals in Melbourne next year. Ella, Ella O'Neill took out the silver medal and Bo Mainzi took out the bronze. Big congratulations to all of those students. Well, staying with uh, National Ag Day and uh, it's uh, time to talk about Australia's farm sector and also looking at uh, farming and the future. So how much do kids know about agriculture and farming? Well, Brooke Neindorf took the microphone along to the Tumby Bay Kindy on South Australia's Air Peninsula to find out. I am four. My name is Georgie. I'm five. My name's Miller. Miller, first of all, do you know what the word agriculture means? No. Georgie, do you know what the word agriculture means? No. Do you know what a farmer does? Uh, does goes on tractors. Miller, do you know? Yes, I do know. They plant wheat. What do you know about what happens on a farm, Georgie? They look after animals, uh, sheep, horses. 
and pigs. Who else helps out the farmers? More people. Their mum, his mum and their kids. What about the truck drivers? Yes. What do the truck drivers do? They drive the trucks and drive the tractors for him. What are in the trucks that get driven? Grain, sheep, baby horses. They're called ponies. And what do you think would be good about being a farmer? Helping other people do their jobs. I am going to be a farmer because I have a shearing top. You've got a shearing top? So you're a shearer. What does a shearer do? A shear sheep. How do they do that? Uh, With a shearing thing. Miller, do you know where food comes from? Yes. You grow food and then you get to eat some. Tomatoes, even fruit and carrots and lots of other food and stuff. Georgie, do you know where milk comes from? Cows and farms. What about meat? Do you know where meat comes from? Yes, it comes from a big place where they make meat. Albie, do you know what the word agriculture means? Um, no. What do you know about farming? They've got animals on their farm, um, like sheep, cows, pigs, roosters and ducks and shooks. Do you know where food comes from? Um, apple trees and some of some berries from bushes and, and I think I've had enough to say. Oh, you've had enough to say? Yeah. All right. No worries. Thanks, Albie. That was Albie uh, talking to Brooke Nindorf, Albie, uh, and those other kids at the Tumby Bay Kindy. 26 past 12. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. The Australian cotton industry has broken export records with cotton forecast to become the third most valuable export commodity after wheat and beef. Official figures from the Australian Bureau of Agricultural and Resource Economics and Sciences shows that in August this year nearly $866 million worth of cotton was exported alone. This is almost double the entire amount of cotton exported in 2020, just two years earlier. Reporter Georgia Vaughan caught up with Adam Kay, who's a Cotton Australia CEO, to talk about these uh, pretty amazing figures. Well, it just reflects the um, record year that we had last season. You know, the, the, the 2022 uh, crop was the largest we've produced in Australia, probably about uh, 5.5, 5.6 million bales, which is about one and a quarter um, you know, million tonnes of cotton fibre. So a lot of cotton fibre. You know, to put that in perspective, that would um, put a you know, jeans, a shirt, jocks and socks on half a billion people. So, um, yeah, certainly Australian cotton is um, you know, helping clothe the world. Yeah, wow. And so it obviously has had a huge increase, as we've seen, and it's um, potentially it was the drought that had an impact on previous seasons. But what about the flooding that we've had? Has that not actually had a, a bigger impact as we think it might have? Well, the flooding is probably having a bigger impact on the, the upcoming season, but certainly we've got a, a number of farmers that have been, you know, 
badly impacted. Look, there's a lot of people, you know, hurting out there. There's real impacts on their winter crop. Um, there are some producers that have still got some cotton to pick. There's still a little bit of cotton in the field. Um, so hopefully they can get onto that when things dry out. And there's also a lot of the round modules sitting in the field that haven't got to the gin yet, and hopefully they're going to be okay. We can get them to the gin and uh, and get them processed. But we're also sort of seeing in some of the southern parts of the state the planting window is closed. It's just getting too late for them to, to put cotton in. And um, and in the northern part of the state, well, you know, we're just really hoping things can dry out so we can get a, a crack at uh, at getting the crop in. Yeah, okay. Um, so what about, you know, the statistic that says that 30% of 2023 crops have already been pre-sold? So is this going to be a positive thing for farmers or is that actually worrying? Well, look, our growers are very savvy at using the forward markets and, you know, it's it's fairly typical that they may have sold a, a proportion of their crop, you know, before planting um, to try and take advantage and there has been some good prices, you know, uh, much earlier this year. So yeah, hopefully they yeah you know, they're still going to get some of their crop in and uh, and they're not going to be get caught uh, you know with uh, cotton they can't produce. But uh, yeah, that uh, that forward selling is a, a normal practice for the uh, for the growers, especially the irrigated growers. Yeah. Okay. And now, can you tell me a little bit about uh, cotton is forecast to become the third most valuable commodity after wheat and beef? Just shows the value of the um, of the industry, not only to the nation but to our rural communities because, you know, that money gets cycled back through, you know, the towns, the, the Bogabries, the Narrabries, the Morees, you know, it, and the Wee Wars, you know, it, that money's going through those communities and, uh, and so, yeah, important for the nation but also important for, um, for the towns that, uh, you know, support our industry. Yeah, and what countries are the biggest importers of Australian cotton? Well, since the soft ban from China uh, in 2020, China was taking 70% of our cotton. You know, we've we've had to really move to expand some existing markets, find some new markets, and you know, the Australian cotton shippers and Cotton Australia have been working hard on that. We've, you know, we've found that Vietnam has become our major market. It's taking about 40% of the cotton. Uh, Indonesia has really expanded, and um, and then you know, uh, Thailand. Bangladesh, India, you know, we've got uh, a number of countries. There's about 17 countries ended up taking uh, Australian cotton, um, you know, this season. Oh, gosh. So what is China's role now then? Well, it's going to be interesting to see if they do come back in the market. We, You know, we've obviously seen the last few days maybe a, a sort of a, a softening of their hardline stance and some dialogue opening. And, uh, you know, we, I guess we're hoping for that reset with um, with a new Australian government, a reset on the relationship, and, and maybe we can um, start, you know, getting cotton back to China. But uh, but certainly, um, you know, there was, there was plenty of life after China and... Um, you know, we've been very lucky to be able to, you know, sell all the crop in every year. That was Cotton Australia CEO Adam Cage heading there with Tamworth Rural Reporter Georgia Vaughan. You're listening to the New South Wales Country. The record, broken the record for uh, forecasts, uh, uh, record for cotton exports, rather. Uh, and it looks like uh, cotton will become the third most valuable export commodity after wheat and beef. $866 billion worth of cotton exported uh, last year. 
You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour. Shortly we'll have the weather details. I've had some problems with their phones, but uh, we managed to get through, so that's good. It's a a nationwide issue with the Bureau of Meteorology phones, apparently, so we'll talk to them shortly. We've got them on someone's mobile, but uh, before we do that, let's uh, get some news headlines from Jamel Wells. Good afternoon. Michael, good afternoon. Premier Dominic Perrottet has met with residents at Yagara who are facing a mammoth clean-up after flash flooding almost wiped out the town in the central west. Another 39 people with COVID have died in the state in the past week. There were almost 28,000 new cases recorded in the seven days to 4pm Thursday. Sydney trains will run to a weekend timetable on Monday and Friday next week. The industrial action by the Rail, Tram and Bus Union is part of a long-running dispute with the state government. Family members of American mathematician Scott Johnson say they're disappointed the man jailed for his murder has been granted leave to appeal. In May, Scott White was jailed for 12 years, more than three decades after Mr Johnson's body was found at the base of cliffs at North Head near Manly. And relatives of those killed in the downing of Malaysia Airlines flight MH17 over eastern Ukraine have spoken of their relief after a Dutch court convicted three men of murder. Two Russians and a pro-Moscow Iranian Ukrainian have been sentenced in absentia to life in jail for the murders of 298 people, including 38 Australians in 2014. And apparently I was hearing from one of the lawyers uh, in that case who was saying that uh, the Russians are refusing to tell anyone where they are. So that's <laughs> yes. why they're in absentia. Yeah, mm. yeah, mm. yeah. Dear Odette. Yes. All right. Thanks for that, Jamel. On that happy note, have a good weekend. <laughs> okay. And it's National Ag Day as well. So we'll send your regards to Cobar. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's 27 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour. Let's find out what's happening with the weather details. Jake Phillips has uh, got the string and the can and he's uh, joined me now. Yes. Good afternoon, Michael. <laughs> it's a little bit like that. Yeah. Well, we you're not far that. away. Yeah, from from your offices up uh, up there on the on the what is it the eighteenth floor or something we could just oh, about get a string. We're on the fifteenth. Fifteenth, just about just about get a string and a can and yeah. <laughs> to the ABC and Ultimo. Might have to look into that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was wasn't easy today. Now, uh, obviously, we're we're worried. We're sweating on this system coming through on the weekend. Yeah. Yes, and uh, fortunately, as we mentioned yesterday, it doesn't look like bringing anywhere near as much rain as the one last weekend, or indeed the last couple before that. So well, that's, that's good, good news. Yeah. <laughs> However, it will bring it will bring some rain. So, uh, and obviously, any rain at the moment is is a concern out west. Um, so it looks like that system will ra- move into the west tomorrow. So today we're looking at a clear day with a high pressure system uh, remaining dominant. But uh, the west of the state will see some showers and storms developing tomorrow, mainly through the afternoon and evening. The only areas where the falls look like being significant on a broader scale is through the southern inland tomorrow. So parts of the lower western Riverina, southwest slopes, and maybe just nudging into parts of the central west are likely to see between 5 and 15 millimetres tomorrow. Uh, There will be some thunderstorms in amongst it as well. So... If a storm does go over the top of you, you may get a little bit more than that, but we won't see the sorts of falls that we saw last weekend when we had those 50s and 100 millimetres and, and a little bit more in some cases. We're not going to see that this time. So even under a storm, uh, the, although the falls will be heavier, 
they're not going to be those uh, torrential downpours that we saw last week. Right, but even Having so, said that, I was going to say, even so, you're probably watching the river systems as there might be another pulse absolutely. in there as a result of even even a 10 or 20 millimetres. That, that's the concern. Even a small amount, amount at the moment will uh, affect some of those catchments. So it's not normally the sort of rainfall that we get too excited about, but in the current situation, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on, and particularly if those storms do develop. As well as rainfall, uh, the risk this coming weekend is from wind as well. So tomorrow in the west of the state, we could see some thunderstorms become severe. The main threat there is damaging wind gusts, but uh, there is also a slight risk of uh, large hail as well. And then the system moves towards, uh, moves eastward rather, uh, on Sunday fairly quickly. So there will be a little bit of rain on the western slopes of the divide on Sunday, but again, not huge totals and it'll be fairly quickly out to sea by the, the second half of Sunday. And what we'll be left with is a lot of wind. Even some areas tomorrow will start to see some windy conditions, particularly around the Southern Alps and the southwest corner. But on Sunday, those winds will become a lot more widespread, coming in from the west, and we're likely to see severe weather warnings for damaging winds issued during the next couple of days. So just a, a note to be aware of. I know the focus at the moment has been rightfully so on the rain and floods. But uh, that wind could uh, cause a few problems through the weekend. Right, OK. And uh, with the wet catchments and uh, wet ground as well, it might be a, a few risk of some trees falling over too in the wind. That's absolutely right, yeah. So particularly in areas where the ground's pretty waterlogged, which is a lot of places now, mm. uh, we could see things falling over a bit easier than they might normally. And it could also uh, pose a, a bit of a, a nuisance or a, a hazard for clean-up operations and that sort of thing as well in, in areas which are starting to move into that phase in some places. So definitely one to be watchful of. And that wind looks like it will continue into Monday, particularly in the southeast on Monday. It looks like being a very windy day. And uh, thereafter, the, most of the weather starts to ease off as we head into next week, but it will be rather cool. So we're looking at some snow developing on the Alps, um, from maybe even Sunday afternoon, but more likely Sunday. Um, and then mostly dry conditions, except a couple of showers down around the southwest slopes as we head into the new week. But definitely on the cool side, we may see a few early frosts about the tablelands even. So a bit of everything over the next few days. Right, and and you mentioned that uh, it, it, that it'd be windy, but uh, probably no rain, but no sort of, you know, warmer weather, no sort of sunshine, no sort of, uh, you know, uh, bright sunny days for a while, which is what they'd like in a... What many well, farmers are like in the lead up to to try and get a harvest going? Yes, yes. In, in terms of warmth, uh, from today through to Sunday uh, are going to be the warmest days, and then things will cool off considerably. But as we move into next week, although it will be cooler, it will there will be a fair bit of sunshine in a lot of areas of the state, particularly through the central and northern parts. So uh, that may assist in that regard. Um, but it's a fairly dry air mass coming through behind this front, so not too much in the way of rain over the, the coming week or so after after this weekend. But a bit cooler, so uh, evaporation levels won't be that much higher. That's right. Uh, cooler, but the sunshine and perhaps lower humidity might sort of counteract that to some extent. So it's a bit of a balance. Jake, uh, thanks for that, and I'll uh, leave you to uh, get get back to it. Thanks for your time on the program today. No trouble. Thank you. Jake Phillips at the Bureau there, uh, and it's uh, 21 minutes to one. Well, the wool industry over the last year has weathered the pandemic perhaps better than many other ag sectors, but the extremely wet conditions and the shortage of shearers 
is proving quite challenging. Wool producers gathered in Sydney today for the AGM of the research and marketing body Australian Wool Innovation. AWI Chairman Jock Laurie addressed the meeting a short time ago and started by talking about the devastating conditions that wool producers have been dealing with. First of all, what I'd like to do is recognise the uh, damage that's been done in the last 12 months, damage that's been done by bushfires. And we know in Western Australia there were some pretty major fires that caused some um, severe damage uh, and cost uh, to uh, to many of our levy payers uh, and it's taken them a while to recover out of that and as a company we've done whatever we can to provide um, support and facilities to get them through that process. Uh, and just recently, right now as it stands, the floods that are happening across the eastern seaboard are really having a devastating impact. And some of the, in fact, some of the footage that I've seen this morning around down through the Hay Plain and different areas, it is quite staggering. Uh, and the problems that's creating in in uh, getting sheep shorn, um, looking after the welfare of sheep and managing all those things right across the Eastern Seaboard, I think it's very important that we as a company understand those issues and do whatever we can, uh, whatever we can to actually help people through that process. Uh, the wool market, as it stands at the moment, is... Um, we would all love it to be higher, quite frankly, but there are underlying reasons of probably why it's sitting where it is at the moment. We do a lot of investment in regard to trying to make sure that we can continue building demand for wool to create more competition in the marketplace, which is what it's all about, and then at an on-farm level to make sure that we're doing R&D, which is trying to remove uh, cost or support cost of production to minimise that as much as we possibly can so that we can actually have those combining factors of demand and, and uh, re- finding better ways, better chemicals, to reduce cost of production on farm and that combination will keep us competitive. The underlying thing here with the wool market at the moment is dealing with the economic circumstances internationally and some of that's coming out of COVID. Um, in our biggest trading partner when it comes to wool China, there's still some strong restrictions which are, re- which are limiting the domestic activity when it comes to uh, purchasing a product there and that's having, without any doubt, having an impact on the, on the wool market uh, and we can only hope that the Chinese continue managing the problem and get their vaccination rates up at what you're talking about and then we can really start to see those volumes uh, lift again and if we can, we can see that flow through into the market. They're a tremendous partner of the Australian wool industry. We've been saying this on a regular basis. They uh, have been very, very strong through the COVID period. Uh, we've been selling a lot of raw wool, a lot of our raw wool going back into into China uh, and the Australian wool industry, you know, are very thankful for the amount of support that they provided to the industry. So we'd really like to see them work their way through this and come out the other end, come out very strongly. And there's certainly some predictions around the fact that, or hope around the fact that that'll be happening in the first or second quarter next year. Uh, Global inflation as it sits at the moment, obvious problem. And and sitting in that inflation, the thing that operates, you know, just about everything that's going on being energy energy prices and interest rates and energy prices Quite frankly, in all of the processing sector, we've got a long supply chain. Everything we do, we've got a component of energy and that, and energy is extremely dear throughout the process. So that's making it very competitive. And I think on an international stage, I think it is really challenging to, to understand, you know, where the early stage and late stage processing is going to end up because a lot of it's going to do with have to do with cost of production. And that'll be sitting around land values to a certain extent, sitting around power prices, labour costs, all of those things that can actually turn around and remain us, allow us to be competitive at the end product in the market. So there's there's real challenges there and we know that and we've just got to uh, keep working through that. There has been some work done about bringing some early stage domestic processing back into Australia and there'll be a second, um, a lot of that work being done, which John might talk about in a, in a minute. But one of the things is creating the the problems when it comes to competition are the big issues that are in Australian wool industry at the moment, and that is around the shearing space. And while um, we're getting evidence that that, um, that problem is being alleviated to a certain extent, some of the work that's been done, it is still a massive problem in some areas across Australia. 
and the cost of shearing has uh, has really become a a big cost in many uh, sectors where people are now seriously having a look at whether it's worthwhile continuing. Certainly in the meat sheep sector at the broader end of the market is very disappointing and in many cases I think the cost of shearing is not being covered by the, the wool that's being taken off them. So we're, we're well aware of that, well aware of the, uh, of the difficulties. So we've invested heavily in the shearing space and we will continue to invest. I think a commitment about six months ago for about $10.5 million for the next three years from that time uh, for learner training and uh, novice training in sheds and shed staff training. That is uh, a long-term commitment so that we can set programs in place to actually really try and drive the numbers up. So there's a huge amount of work to be done there. And then the things around flies, chemical resistant issues around flies and around, uh, around drenches are always an ongoing problem. We have started to see quite a few issues around barber's poleworm with wet seasons in non-traditional areas, should I say. Um, and that's been a surprise to quite a few people who have never dealt with those worms before and many people don't know what I'm talking about but I can tell you they're a devastating, can have a devastating impact. So the, the company actually put together some webinars uh, last year and obviously coming into the best of the summer gets going again, the worms get going again, having a look at how we can actually continue on those webinars to inform people across Australia how they should be managing some of these worm problems is going to be a, a really important issue. That's AWI Chairman Jock Laurie speaking in Sydney at the AGM a short time ago. It's a quarter to one on the New South Wales Country Hour. Well, uh, to the port dispute now, and the Fair Work Commission has today suspended Spitzer's lockout of its maritime employees for six months. Uh, this During this time, neither the unions nor the company can take any protected industrial action. In the decision, the Fair Work Commission wrote that they were satisfied the intended lockout threatens to endanger the welfare of the Australian population and that it could cause significant damage to the Australian economy. Uh, also, they, uh, late Wednesday evening, the unions withdrew their notices of protected industrial action that would see employees stop work for up to 24 hours at various ports around the country. In written submissions to the Commission, the three unions argued the Commission should suspend industrial action, whereas Fitzer and others argued for a termination. So uh, that... Uh, uh, the Fair Work Commission has today suspended Spitzer's lockout of its maritime employees for six months. It's a quarter to one. The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. The Australian Bushmen's Camp Draft and Rodeo Association's National Finals kicked off yesterday at ALEC in uh, Tamworth. The uh, best competitors have travelled from all over to compete in the camp draft section, which is the first event of the 2022 National Final Series. The ABC RA's inaugural Stockman's Challenge will also be running, and tomorrow night a feature rodeo will be held in the main arena. Reporter Georgia Vaughan went along to day one and spoke to some of the competitors and the executive officer of the ABC RA, Craig Young. We've got over 600 competitors here over the uh, over the course of this event. We'll be running over 2,000 uh, camp draft runs. We'll have uh, a, a radio on Saturday night and uh, plenty of camp drafting action, of course, over the four days. There's no better place on earth than uh, here at, uh, at the ALIC and uh, watching all these great people with their, with their outstanding horses and, uh, and having fun and showing all the skills that they've got as stock people. And Simon, has the flooding had much of an effect on the competition? Uh, actually, we've been pretty lucky. Uh, most of the 
the flooding has subsided enough for most competitors to get here. Uh, it's mainly competitors in the in the far south that have had the, the biggest difficulty. Uh, we've been very lucky with our cattle suppliers uh, being on all weather roads, and we've been able to get all our cattle in without any issues. And uh, with this breeze and the, and the warmer weather, you know, everything's drying up pretty quick, and the water's getting away. So, it, yes, it is a challenge. But it's not a challenge we can't get around. Dean Taylor is the president of the ABCRA and a competitor. He says a lot of work goes into preparing for camp draft, along with the day-to-day tasks of living on the land. Oh, a lot of um, a lot of the competitors actually, for their lead-up, is is doing their day-to-day work. So, a lot of um, a lot of these competitors work stock through the week on their horses and that sort of thing. There is some competitors that have got other jobs that ride their horses in an afternoon and, and that sort of thing, but it's like any sport, you get, get out of it what you put into it. Um, so the ones that put a lot into it get a lot out of it. And Dean, what are the expectations of this national final? Well, it, I think the expectations, this is, you know, we've got the best of the ABCRA here competing with the national finals and um, there's also a lot of great competitors competing in the Australian Championships. Um, some of those people are as good a competitor as mightn't travel to as many and with COVID and everything else we haven't had as many events on. So it should be um, very big. And competitors of all ages come together for Camp Draft. One of the youngest is 12-year-old Summer Barnett-Tack. It's pretty fun so I love to do it. We'll just have to trot down the horses and help out the family and hope for the best I guess. Yeah I want to do it in the future. I want to be able to train horses and do different things and still compete with the Camp Drafting. And at the other end of the spectrum is Julie McNaughton, a camp draft competitor of over 40 years. She has advice for the younger generation of competitors. Yeah, just learn as much as you can. Try and learn a lot about chasing cattle. That's what it's about out here. Get your horses trained good. Get to as many clinics as you can. And, yeah, just you get out of what you put into it, which is like any other sport. But the more you put into it, the more you'll get out of it. And reporter Georgia Vaughan filed that report. It's uh, coming up to 10 minutes to one on the country hour. Well, a farmer in central Victoria is warning anyone using digital invoices to carefully check details after she nearly fell victim to a complex scam. The scam has managed to intercept and change invoices from legitimate businesses, adding text that instructed the payee that the billing details had changed. As Luke Radford reports, the identity of the scammers or how widespread their attacks have been are still unknown. It was just another day in the farm office for Rebecca Hamilton, who was working through invoices when she noticed something strange. I manage the accounts within our business, so I was busy paying accounts and two invoices came upon my desk with red writing stretched across the middle of them, informing me that there's been a change of bank account details. And both of these invoices relate to suppliers who we have previously done business with. So whenever I have a change of bank account details, I always send a text message just to confirm that the bank account has actually changed. And when I heard back from the first person, it appeared they have kept the same bank account for two years and so it rang an alarm bell. She also supplied me with the last four digits of their bank account and it was in fact different to what appeared on the invoice that I was about to pay for $24,000 for the supply of lupins and barley. That person in question was Christina Fay, who has a business selling grain. So Beck uh, texted me and I wasn't actually overly concerned to start off with. I said that I would check the account when I got home, which I did, and 
we had sent we had sent them numerous uh, well not numerous we'd sent them eight invoices in the past that had been paid and this was an account that we had always used and so I, I texted her and said look it's the same account and she sent me back a copy uh, she took a photo of the invoice and it had on the invoice um, in red uh, in capitals please note change of bank account details from September 2022 and then the, uh, to all intents and purposes, it was our invoice. Uh, it had our, our invoice number on it. It had our um, trading details. It was all correct and but it had been changed. The account had been changed. So where had this scam come from? At first glance, Beck Hamilton suspected it may have come from a piece of online software she's just started using. No, first and foremost, it was the red writing and the fact that two invoices with a very similar format, and as I've looked into it, they've both come out of the Zero Software Accounting Program, which we ourselves have actually just started using this financial year. So it was the red writing, the fact that there was a lot of similarity in these two invoices from two different suppliers. We put a series of questions to Zero about the incident. A spokesperson said while Zero can't comment publicly on individual customer matters or potential security incidents, the company takes allegations of fraudulent activity very seriously and will work with customers to investigate these types of incidents. It also said that in line with security obligations, the company is required to report any security compromises both to customers and the regulators. Christina Fay says she hasn't had any other customers using Zero report scam activity, which her accountant supports. However, there was another suspect. Zero works through your email account, so that's where the scammer could have gotten in. After Beck um, contacted me about this, I contacted our accounting firm, who they originally set up uh, the Zero for it, and they've not heard of it being intercepted from. Zero. But of course, when you when you send the invoices, you actually do send them from an email rather than from Zero itself. So you, you have to. The email goes out from your business email address, and it's received from their end on their business address uh, email address. So I guess it, it may well be that people have intercepted them at her end the invoices at her end rather than ours. That's Central Victorian farmer Rebecca Hamilton finishing that report from Luke Radford. You're listening to The Country Hour. It's uh, time to get some market information. Well, to the weekly wrap of livestock markets and uh, the uh, flooding, and it says, of course, disrupted sales and some selling centres have been closed around the central west. Producers have uh, also had trouble moving stock around throughout the Riverina too. Prices for cattle, though, have been uh, cheaper. Shad Bailey joins us now to discuss what's happened. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Michael. So cattle cheaper this week. Uh, why do you think that's the case? Well, there's obviously a few um, a few factors, as you mentioned, obviously floodwaters to the south and just a quick heartfelt to all those people affected by that. But mm. obviously we're coming, we're getting closer to that Christmas period, which we obviously, you know, we see every year a, a trend start, or, you know, throughput starting to slow down. But obviously on the back of some uh, this tremendous season, a lot of cattle are hitting weight, especially feeder cattle are hitting weight a lot earlier 
on the back of these seasons. So we're having a lot more cattle come to the market uh, ready for sale pre-Christmas where generally those cattle aren't coming, you know, until, you know, sort of February, March next year. So yeah, a few factors, obviously, um, you know, uh, a bit of COVID again uh, over into China, but a lot of uh, a lot of markets um, overseas have, have had some some pressures. But I think uh, just on the back of obviously you know this this time of year uh, and and a lot of numbers are hitting market quicker. And so maybe some of those overseas markets balking at some of the prices. Are we seeing that, or are we hearing that from the trade? Well, not that we're obviously hearing, you know, from prices that it's, it's getting a lot difficult uh, or more difficult to sell um, overseas. I, to, to the price side, I don't know. Um, can comment on on the on the black side of things. Obviously, a, a lot of our and their black cattle, you know, heading into that China market. Uh, with a lot of that uh, being suspended on the back of COVID, a lot of things being shut down in China, which is putting pressures. But once again, I think it's, uh, you know, a, a trend that a, a lot of these cattle are hitting hitting the market. A lot of these feedlots are getting cattle thrown at them, but generally wouldn't be seen until, you know, until a new year. And uh, it's just put a lot of pressure. Because there's a lot, so much grass around and they're, they're finishing them off a bit earlier. It's unbelievable, Michael. The seasons, um, like obviously, I can't comment, you know, further south and 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 to the far north. But just here in New England, the seasons are unbelievable. Um, the, the, the amount of grass, you know, you you think you've, you know, you, you're chewing a paddock out in two weeks' time, you know, it's back up over the fence again. But um, just yeah, on the, on the softness of the season and and the, uh, and the way things have been with weather. Uh, the cattle are just flying, and as I say, they're hitting them. They're hitting hitting weight, especially here in New England. That you know, we're selling feeder cattle now at 500 kilos that were purchased back at the end of April uh, in the weaner sales. Like that's that's unheard of here. We're generally selling those cattle in February, March, April next year. That just goes to show, you know, that the weight gains of cattle have been, you know, have been putting on. And what's been happening with sheep and lambs? Well, we've seen a strengthening strengthening in the lamb side. Obviously, that massive market uh, last week at Wagga sixty eight thousand, which we've seen a massive d- a downturn. Um, same same thing. It's it's a, a supply and demand uh, at this time of year. Um, only thirty thousand at Wagga this this week, um, and the market some twenty or thirty dollars dearer. So they're back to where they were a fortnight ago, off strong rates. Um, obviously, there hasn't been a forward market, so some of these major centres that haven't gone. Um, has has been a burden as well, uh, but yeah, in saying that, new season trades are still you know eight dollars or or thereabouts and better, um, to, you know, for the direct hook sales. They tell me some of those far southern sales, new season suckers over nine for the trade, so still very very strong there. A um, lot of restocker lambs coming forward. Those lambs making anywhere from eighty to one hundred and forty to go back to the paddock. But um, yeah, other than that, uh, I think next week could be a different story again if Forbes back up and running few extra numbers come back into those bigger centres in the south, you know, we could see a downward trend again. Yeah, so that's what you're tipping. Maybe if we sort of go back to some sort of normality, we'll, I guess it'd be interesting to watch what happens. Definitely, because obviously there's a lot, lot of lambs um, still haven't come to market that, you know, should have already been, but obviously floodwaters and so forth have stopped that. So, mm. you know, between now and Christmas, I think, you know, we may see an abundance of lambs again in some of these bigger centres, which obviously is, is going to put pressure uh, on the market because um, once again they're saying they're having trouble selling it so um, you know at some stage between now and Christmas I think you know we're going to see that trend uh, you know some larger numbers somewhere and this trend get cheaper again but in saying all in all you know eight dollars for a new season sucker or better you know we can't complain. Thanks for that Shad. Thanks Mike. Let's go to Griffith's Sheep and Lambs.
Good afternoon. The lamb numbers eased to 3,050 and the quality was mostly good with a lot of finished heavy trade and heavy lambs. There are a few pens of extra heavy shorn lambs and hoggets and just a handful of light stores. The market sold to a stronger trend of around $40 a head. The medium and heavy trade new season lambs to 24 kilos, 176 to 220, 24 to 26 kilos, 202 to 240, and they averaged 850 to $9. 26 to 30 kilos reached 250. Old trade lambs, 170 to 205, averaging 860. The 24 to 26 kilos, 214 to 235. Extra heavy, shorn lambs, 230 to 265, and ore, 800 to 860 cents. Heavy crossbred hoggets, 150 to 180. Merinos reached 178. Mutton numbers were back. Heavy mutton remained firm. Light mutton lifted. The medium weight used 91 to 135. Heavy crossbred used 140 to 150. And Merinos with a long skin, 155. And this has been Graham Richard. You're listening to the Country Hour. It's news time.